Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses right there on your screen. And I'll, I'll, there's going to be a lot of stuff I'm going to show on the screen today, but I'll be as descriptive as I can for people who, who just listen to the audio. Um, on my screen there, you can see my blog site, which you can find at davidcbarnett.com. And... <clears throat> If you haven't been there, you should head over there because if you scroll down, there's all kinds of cool things in there. There's an intro video. There's a video where I describe all the different books, courses, and services that I offer. Um, and then further down here on the left, the sign-up space for my email list. So if you listen to the podcast or you watch the videos and you want to be sure not to miss anything new, put in your email address. At a minimum, click the weekly new video digest and you'll get an email every Wednesday when the new video comes out. But if you're interested in these other topics, check them off and you can change it at any time or unsubscribe. Uh, but this is the way that you make sure that you don't miss out on anything. As well, get tons of other cool information and things that I send out regularly, um, daily often actually. So what do I wanna talk about today? Today I wanna to talk about equipment. I wanna talk about equipment values and I've mentioned it a few times before over the years. Uh, I'm not sure if all of you know this, but I am a certified machinery and equipment appraiser. And the reason why I hold that designation is back when I had my business brokerage office open, um, I had buyers who were trying to use equipment in businesses as collateral to borrow money to make the acquisition. And we had trouble finding people who were qualified to evaluate the equipment and create appraisal reports that were acceptable by the banks. So I went looking and I found an organization in the States, which did a certification program in a machinery and equipment appraisal. Um, and I went through that certification, but of course I wasn't able to uh, appraise the equipment of a business that I was trying to sell because there was a conflict of interest. So what I had to do is I had to go and recruit one of my competitors, another business broker, and convince him to also become certified so that we could certify each other's clients, which kind of an interesting dynamic. Anyway, when I left the business brokerage world, I maintained that certification and <clears throat> I have another website, which is businessandassetvalues.com. And it's not one that I talk about on my channel a lot because this is really geared towards people right here in my region. So within a few hours drive of me, but <clears throat> for the past 10 years, I've been doing machine, certified machinery and equipment appraisals uh, for banks and lawyers and other people who need to have a certified value for one reason or another, okay? So what I wanna talk to you about <clears throat> is this idea of using equipment as collateral when you buy a business because in some uh, places in the world, you might have a government program which allows you to borrow up to a certain percentage of equipment's value. So we have that here in Canada, for instance, where <clears throat> if you want to buy a business, you can use the business's equipment as collateral up to 90% of its value. And we're going to talk about what value means in a moment. That's the whole gist of the video. In other places, like in the United States, people will sometimes acquire equipment uh, under an SBA loan, or they'll use a 7A loan, which doesn't really look at the assets, it looks more at the cash flow. And if you're not going to use a government guaranteed loan at all, then lenders will still lend against equipment, 
um, they're going to look at, at the value of that equipment and they're going to ask themselves the question, if this person stops paying the loan, what can we reasonably get in some kind of liquidation of this equipment to cover off the loan? So more of a traditional kind of banking question. And, you know, there, there's a term out there as we're talking about banks, there's another, there are other categories of lenders out there. So for example, there are leasing companies and they're going to make their own deals based on their own internal criteria. And then there's a third category of lender, which is referred to as asset based lenders. And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a, of mystery or magic surrounding that term asset based lenders, because there are a lot of people online talking about how you can acquire a business simply by using an asset-based lender to borrow money against the value of the assets. And that's one of the things I really want to get to the root of today because I have done appraisals for asset-based lenders and I've spoken to asset-based lenders and I know how they operate. And that's part of what's going to be revealed here today to kind of shed some light on this idea that it's a, it's a simple way to get money that you need. So so this is asset, uh, businessandassetvalues.com. But first of all, I'm going to start over here. I did a random Google search for sample balance sheet, and I came to this website, accountingcoach.com. And you'll see this is a balance sheet. So uh, any business is going to have a balance sheet. And on one side, we have all the assets. And on the other side, we have the liabilities and the equity. And the two sides have to equal. That's why it's called a balance sheet. And the first section of this balance sheet in the assets so shows current assets, things like cash or accounts receivable, inventory, et cetera. Definition of a current asset is an asset that will likely be turned into cash within the following year. So, so these are things like, you know, inventory, we're trying to sell it, supplies we're going to use up, things like that. And then you get into this other section, property, plant, and equipment. Sometimes it's called long-term assets. These are the assets that are durable and last over time. And you'll notice here, there's one called equipment. And it says in this example, $201,000. So a lot of times when people will look at a business that they're looking at buying, they'll see a balance sheet and they'll go, oh, there's $200,000 worth of equipment that we can finance here. So the quick, quick response to that, no, there isn't. Okay. So where does that equipment value come from? It comes from an accounting methodology. So, you know, over the course of the last couple of hundred years, accountants have tried to develop methodologies for representing the activity of a business very quickly on a few pieces of paper. And, and they've done a great job with that. One of the ways that they've, they've achieved this is by taking a few shortcuts. So one of the shortcuts that accountants take is with respect to the value of things like machinery and equipment because it's not really feasible to hire someone at the end of every year to go and do a full appraisal of every piece of equipment that a business owns. Okay. So this is where we get depreciation or amortization of assets. So different types of equipment, like a vehicle would be different than a computer. They would fall into different classes and each class has a different set of arbitrary rules as to how its value falls over time as it's used up. Okay. So <clears throat> vehicles could be falling at a 30% declining balance. Computers could be falling at a 50% straight line, you know, depreciation in the notes of the financial statement, you will find a section which will outline the policy being adopted in those financial statements uh, for what the depreciation is. And 
So buildings would depreciate over a very long time because they're long lasting. Uh, land often is not depreciated at all because it's considered to always go up in value. Uh, and I'm just talking about the raw land, not real estate, including the building. Things like paving, signage, et cetera, will have different depreciations. So the number you find on the balance sheet is a mathematical figure based on the accountant's depreciation. A lot of the times businesses will not have proper sets of financial statements, especially if they don't have bank loans. Banks are often the ones that require accountant prepared financial statements. And if you don't have a bank loan where the banker's asking for that, then a lot of businesses won't pay to have them prepared. So they'll have tax returns, for example. <clears throat> Excuse me. So tax returns will also have uh, balance sheet information, but it may not jive with the balance sheet an accountant prepares. Why? Because the accountant is following certain rules with the idea that he's trying to represent to the shareholders of the corporation what the state of the business is. Whereas <clears throat> the government and the tax return, they have a different set of rules. And sometimes the government will allow businesses to depreciate things more quickly as an incentive based on policy of the day. So let me give you an example. <clears throat> In the United States, um, when Donald Trump changed the taxation of businesses, through his tax reforms, what he wanted to do was increase demand for equipment made in America. And one of the ways that they did that is they allowed businesses to depreciate more rapidly the acquisition of capital equipment, which meant that <clears throat> if I'm depreciating a new acquisition more quickly, it means my depreciation expense goes up, which means my profit goes down, which means my tax bill is reduced. So it's a tax incentive using the depreciation, okay? Which would mean that if you looked at the balance sheet on the, tax, on the tax return of one of those companies, the equipment value would be very low, not because the equipment was worthless, but because the government allowed them to write it down more quickly in order to incentivize people to buy that kind of equipment, okay? And, and so that was a policy decision based around increasing demand for equipment, which hopefully would stimulate the growth of jobs in the, in the businesses that made that equipment, okay? So if you go to a lender of any kind and you want to borrow against these assets, the lender's going to want to know what those assets are worth. If you're buying equipment for the first time from a dealer, then the lender is probably just going to use your invoice. Because if you're doing an arm's length transaction with a dealer of equipment and you want to buy a bulldozer from them, they're obviously not going to give you the bulldozer too cheap, they need to make money on it, right? So you're going to negotiate a price and the price you pay for the bulldozer is going to be the price of the bulldozer, period. And so the bank will use that, they'll lend you a certain percentage of it, okay? Those are the easy ones. Here's the difficulty, is when you're buying a business as a going concern and you, want, and you need to use the equipment as collateral to borrow money, the buyer and seller both understand this dynamic and it has not been uh, unheard of for a buyer and seller to collude to inflate the value of the equipment in order for the buyer to get a bigger bank loan. Because if the, if, the, the, if the buyer can't borrow against the goodwill of the business, then the seller understands that if they inflate the value of the equipment and reduce the value of the goodwill, the seller walks away with more money on closing. Okay, So banks caught on to that and other lenders as well. And that's why if they're lending against the equipment, 
they will often require some kind of evaluation of the equipment. What's it worth? <clears throat> Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat today and I promise it's not the COVID. Okay, so that leads us to, if when you make a deal, you say, you go, to the, you go to the lender, you say, here's, I've got this equipment, here's a list of all the equipment, this is what we think it's worth. The lender will then say, okay, I'll lend you a certain percentage of that equipment value, but there needs to be an appraisal, subject to an appraisal. And that's when my phone rings, okay, here where I, where I live. So you go over here to my appraisal website and businessandassetvalues.com. And along the top, there's a, a category called definitions. So if we go into the definitions, we'll see that there's all kinds of definitions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 different definitions, okay? So <clears throat> what kind of value you're looking for is going to have a huge impact on the number that's arrived at at the end of the process. So fair market value, well, we have several different versions of fair market value. Fair market value, fair market value removal, fair market value and continued use, and fair market value installed, okay? So for the purpose of this demonstration, I want to use a pizzeria pizza oven installed in a pizzeria, okay? So the highest value that it can be obtained is this one here, fair market value in continued use. Let me read the definition for you. This is the estimated amount expressed in terms of money that may be reasonably expected for property in an exchange between a willing buyer and a willing seller, with property meaning a piece of equipment, okay, throughout all these things. We're not talking about real estate here. Um, between a willing buyer and willing seller with equity to both, neither under any compulsion to buy or sell, and both fully aware of all relevant facts, including installation, as of a specific date and assuming that the business earnings support the value reported. This amount includes all normal direct and indirect costs such as installation and other assemblage costs to make the property fully functional. Okay, so what this is saying is that there is an assumption that the business makes money. So our pizzeria is a profitable going concern, all right? Which, which means that it makes sense for this piece of equipment to be operating in that location. And not only are we considering the pizza oven, but I will be able to figure out what the pizza oven is worth as a fair market value. And, and then I have to figure out what the value is of the fact that it was delivered into that pizzeria. So there's a cost to moving it there, right? Because if you're buying the pizzeria, you want to use the oven exactly in the spot it's located in, which means the fact that it's been delivered already actually holds value to the buyer, right? And then we have the value of having the man from the gas company come and hook it on, right? To install the gas line. And then we also have to consider, you know, the fact that it's under a vent hood, which exhausts to the outside, right? So all of those things play into the value of the pizzeria, of the pizza oven in a pizzeria kitchen, which is operating every day to make pizzas, okay? So this is the highest value you will achieve. And so when I'm doing these evaluations in Canada and people are using the Small Business Finance Act loan program, which is sponsored by Industry Canada, which where the government guarantees the loan to the bank, the definition in the act corresponds with fair market value and continued use. So if you're buying that pizzeria and the bank agrees to finance the equipment, they're going to be looking for this value. It's the highest potential value and they'll lend you up to 90% of that value and the government of Canada will guarantee it, okay? So 
this is great for people trying to buy a business because it maximizes the amount of money they can borrow on the equipment, not the goodwill or anything like that. Okay. So it's not like the seven, a program in the States, but um, that's a high number. The only reason the bank is willing to do that is because of the guarantee from the government, right? Because the bank knows that if this business ever closed, they would never be able to get that value for that pizza oven. Because first of all, the delivery cost and the installation of the gas line and the installation of the vent hood and apparatus, all of that would be lost the minute we take it out of there. In fact, when we remove the pizza oven from there, we're incurring costs which reduce its value. And that gets us on to the next set of definitions I want to talk about. So this is orderly liquidation value, okay? And let me read the definition of this one. The estimated gross amount expressed in terms of money that could be typically realized from a liquidation sale given a reasonable period of time to find a purchaser or purchasers with the seller being compelled to sell on an as-is-whereas basis as of a specific date. So what's happening now is the pizzeria has closed. So it was not economically viable. We had to shut down the pizzeria. And given what's happening with COVID right now, this, this orderly liquidation value could very well be something you see around you all the time. So now we've closed the business and we're advertising on different websites like Craigslist or Kijiji pizza oven for sale must be sold by end of month because landlord is coming to change the key, the locks, right? So now we're advertising it as well as we can to try to sell it by a certain date. And the buyer is now going to have to pay a cost to have it removed. He's going to have to pay the gas guy to come and uninstall it, to unhook the gas line. The value of the venting is completely gone to him. Uh, he's going to have to pay some people to come and remove it, right? So now we're discounting against that fair market value in continued use, and we're arriving at a much lower cost. So when I get called by banks who are not using the government program, this is the value they want, not the fair market value in continued use. They want this value because they want to have an idea of what they might reasonably obtain if they have to have the equipment removed or sold off by a dealer or something, okay? Here's the next one, forced liquidation value. So let me read you this definition. Forced liquidation value, the estimated gross amount expressed in terms of money that could be typically realized from a properly advertised and conducted public auction with the seller being compelled to sell with a sense of immediacy on an as is whereas basis as of a specific date. So now we've reached the end of the month no one has bought the pizza oven. We've got to sell everything today. If we can't move it, then the landlord's going to end up taking it from us. Okay. So what happens in this scenario? Again, we're talking about another order of magnitude lower in the price that will likely be obtained. So again, for banks that are not using the government guarantee programs, some will ask for orderly liquidation value. Some of them, including the BDC, which is a big uh, federally owned bank here in Canada that does business loans, they typically ask me for both orderly liquidation value and forced liquidation value because they're interested in knowing what both of those numbers are. For something big like a, like a food processing or manufacturing plant, they want to know if we have to foreclose on this thing and we are able to start auctioning or selling stuff off in advance or we have to wait till an auction, what will our options look like? So they're making 
a decision based on not the fair market value and not the book value, but what this stuff would legitimately sell for if the business had to be liquidated. Now, when I do appraisals for people that are in the asset-based lending world, number one, asset-based lenders know that people are coming to them because they don't have options in the banking world. Number two, asset-based lenders charge more, okay? They have higher interest rates. And number three, asset-based lenders have no, um, no real interest or requirements as to the balance sheet strength of the people they're lending to. That, that's their business. They know that you don't have a proper debt to equity ratio. If you did, you'd be at the bank, not with them, okay? So they know that lending to you is going to be um, a risky proposition, okay? So what do they want to know? They want to know, because they know it's a risky deal, they perceive that they may end up having to liquidate this stuff, and that could be a very real outcome far more than the banker sees it as a, far, as a realistic outcome. So an asset-based lender is more interested in the forced liquidation value. If we have to pull the plug on these guys, if they miss two payments and we have to come in and just shut them down and get the sheriff in there and lock the gates and, and then call an auctioneer, what can we get out of this? And so asset-based lenders usually lend a percentage of the forced liquidation value, not orderly or you know, fair market value. So let me give you an example. If a piece of equipment were to be worth $10,000 in a fair market value, it might be worth $6,000 in an orderly liquidation value. It might be worth four to 5000 or maybe even less in a forced liquidation, depending on the type of equipment. And so now you're, lending a, you're borrowing a percentage of that. So when you see some of these buy a business with no money gurus on the internet who say you can easily buy a business by leveraging its assets, using asset-based lenders to get the money you need to buy the business, understand that the asset-based lenders are probably going to be the ones who will advance the least amount of money out of every kind of source of debt you can find. These are the people that are going to advance the least amount of money on the collateral and equipment that is available there. And um, you, that value is going to be verified by someone like me and someone who's a certified appraiser is going to have to go and look at the equipment and create a report for them to make a decision on how much they're willing to lend. And so it's not a magic bullet. It's not like um, miraculously, I'm just going to put up all the assets of the business to borrow all this money and, and get hundred percent leveraging on a business. So I've been wanting to make a video like this for quite some time. I'm going to add it to my buy a business with no money tab on davidcbarnett.com. And, you know, let me show that to you. So if you have been poking around online uh, and you, this idea of buying a business with no money is something that is attractive to you and you're thinking about enrolling in some of these programs, come over to davidcbarnett.com, click this tab, buy a business with no money. And it's a collection of all the videos and all the blog posts that I've ever put up that deal with this topic of buying a business with no money. And please go through this information before you buy any program or course. And I even have an example on there of a real no money deal. So you can see that yes, this does get done and this is where this idea comes from, but you can see what kind of buyer is actually able to execute that kind of deal. And for, Everyone else, if you are thinking about buying a business and you want to learn how to do it correctly, 
um, head on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. Um, I explain my whole four step, how to buy a business and you can enroll. There's all kinds of access to YouTube videos and free education and low cost education books that cost just a couple bucks. But most importantly, you can enroll in my business buyer advantage online program. It's the cheapest way to spend 11 and a half hours learning how to buy a business from me. And uh, it's got some newly updated material. In November 2019, I put in how to buy a business in a recession um, and how we modify the deal to make sure that we're protected from the risk of, of declining sales. And then, of course, in uh, March 2020, I put in a new section on buying a business during the COVID reality, you know, how COVID is going to be changing deal making. And then later, I also added a section on buying distressed businesses. So this is all at businessbuyeradvantage.com online course. And at the end of the online course, you'll learn even more about, um, about my group coaching program, which is where I help people even further if they want more of my help on a regular basis to help find and acquire a successful, profitable business that will help them achieve their financial goals. And with that, we'll say, see you later. And, um, if you haven't already, again, sign up for that email list. We'll talk to you soon.